invite you, wherever you are, to stand as you are able as we hear the words from the Gospel this morning. This morning our Gospel lesson comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You all may be seated. Well, things are starting to look a little different around here. We have some purple hues, we have some trees up, we have some lights. It's starting to look like a new season here. And of course, all of this is intentional. We are being ushered into the season of Advent. Today, churches all around the world are joining together for this Advent season. Advent refers to the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And during these four weeks, we anticipate and prepare for the birth of Christ once again. This year, we've chosen to follow along loosely with a book called Incarnation by Adam Hamilton. He is the founder and senior pastor of a huge multi-campus United Methodist Church in Kansas City. And he wrote this book called Incarnation for the 2020 Advent season which, as we've mentioned, which you don't need to be told again, is a very specific kind of Advent. So incarnation. The word incarnation comes from the Latin, and it means something like embodiment or to become flesh. And the doctrine of the incarnation represents one of the most foundational, and some might even say scandalous claims of the Christian faith, that the God who created all that is who sustains the universe by God's power, came to us in Jesus. So let me say that in a different way. God did not simply inspire Jesus or send Jesus to dwell on earth, but God took on human flesh and became a human to come and live among us in the person of Jesus. And this is huge. That's what the incarnation means. That's what we celebrate during this Advent and Christmas season. So during Advent, we're going to look at how all of that happened. 
starting with looking at Mary and Joseph, their journey to Bethlehem, and all that came from that. But Advent is not only a time to look back at that time, but it's also a time to look forward to the day when Christ will come again in victory. As Christians that are alive today, we kind of live in this tension between those two things. We live after Jesus was born in the manger, but before Jesus comes again. We see a world where suffering still occurs, where there is darkness and there is pain, and where kingdoms of this world seem to have the upper hand. But we also know that there is a kingdom far greater that God has told us about that we will one day inhabit. Advent is a season that reminds us that we can experience the hope, joy, peace, and love of that heavenly kingdom, even now. Because when God took on flesh in the person of Jesus and came to dwell among humanity, he brought with him eternal hope and a glimpse of the kingdom of God here and now. So for today, this first Sunday of Advent, we're going to focus on Jesus, his title of king, and the hope that his kingship brings to all generations. So just a few moments ago, I read that really long passage from 2 Samuel, and you might be wondering, how is that even related to what we're talking about? Well, to understand what it means that Jesus is king, I thought it would be good to look at what kingship meant in the Old Testament. And so while there are lots of kings, good and bad, that we could look at, there's only one king that is set apart as the archetypal example king for the rest of the world, and that was David. David reigned as king from approximately 1010 B.C. to 970 B.C. He was the eighth son of a man named Jesse, a sheep herder in a small town of Bethlehem on the edge of the Judean wilderness. He was the great-grandson of Ruth, that book of the Bible that we know in the Old Testament. And God chose him, God chose David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, to be king when he was just a boy in his early teens. He was a sheep herder, a poet, a musician, and a courageous young man. David's story is fascinating and large and looms largely in the Bible. He is named over 1,000 times in Scripture. That's more than anybody else except Jesus in the Bible. His story is told across all four Old Testament lessons, and most of the Psalms were either written by him, commissioned by him, or written to him. So David was the ideal pattern for a king. And that was because he was a good, compassionate, and caring king. But above all else, he had an intimate relationship with God. He had a relationship, a connection to God. And he used that passion, his position as king, to point others towards that God who he believed in. David wasn't perfect, but we do know that in Acts, God called David a man after his own heart. So then, we're told in that passage from 2 Samuel, all the way back, hundreds of years before Jesus came, that from David's line, God will establish a king and a throne for forever. So then we jump forward to Luke's gospel, which we also read. And in Luke's account, he says, Gabriel says to Mary, He, Jesus, will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. Luke wants us to know, from the very beginning of his gospel, that the child that is going to be born of Mary is the anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Davidic King. Jesus is the one they have been waiting for. Can you imagine the anticipation and excitement in the air when they learn that this, this might be their guy? The Israelites have been waiting for this specific promise to be fulfilled for hundreds of years. So I'm sure they were wondering, will Jesus really be a good king? Will he be compassionate and caring like David was? And will he really bring the hope that we've been told he will bring for hundreds and hundreds of years? Well, we who hear the story today know the answer is yes, because we live in the middle after Jesus was born, before Jesus comes again. We know that the incarnation, the life, the ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus changed absolutely everything. Because when God became incarnate, when Jesus took on human flesh and came down to earth, a glimpse of the kingdom of God and a hope for all of humanity was brought down as well. From the beginning of Jesus' life, his kingship was different than any other king. While he had all power and authority and permission to do whatever he needed to do, Jesus chose to lead with humility, compassion, and kindness. Though Jesus was equal with God, having all power over the entire universe, Jesus lowered himself, took on a human fleshly body, and came to live in the muck and the mire that we live in every day. Jesus didn't rule from a high earthly throne, but associated with the lowly and the poor. He raised up those with society disregard and showed them through his actions that in his kingdom all have value. When talking about his kingdom, this reality, this place that we will all go one day, Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Blessed are the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And for the reasons you all might assume, the kingdom of God is called the upside-down kingdom sometimes. Because Jesus takes everything that we think we know and flips it on its head. He raises up the lowly and lowers down the powerful and the privileged. When asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God is coming, because you might be thinking, I want this place full of love and compassion and where Jesus is king. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. Again, Jesus' kingdom does not look like people will expect. We who are physical creatures expect that the kingdom is a specific place. Oftentimes we think about heaven or, you know, like a physical place. It's hard for us to imagine just a reality. It's kind of meta. But Jesus' kingdom is not just a physical space. It's not a place with beautiful buildings and breathtaking beauty, security and protection for him. Instead, Jesus' kingdom is open and available to all people, 
The kingdom is a reality where God's love, grace, mercy, inclusion, justice, and compassion are experienced by all. I think it's kind of miraculous that we, even while we're still on earth, can experience a taste of that kingdom here and now. One of the greatest gifts that I received when coming to Ashland Place was the established relationship with L'Arche through Thomas and Leah Irby. L'Arche is an international federation of communities of people who have disabilities and don't have disabilities who choose to live and do life together. I knew about L'Arche from my time in Atlanta and I had done a few things with them through my experience at Candler, but I can't say that I would have jumped into an opportunity here in Mobile. For no specific reason, but it just was not something that was on my radar. But thank goodness that it was dropped in my lap with the Jubilee service. The Jubilee service, if you have not been before, if you are new here, it before COVID, pre-COVID, was a service we did once a month right here in the Fellowship Hall. And our friends from the Larsh community would come, our friends from the Mulherin community would come, everyone is welcome to come. But it's more than that. It's more than just that people are welcome to come, people with and without disabilities. But the space is set up saying that we intentionally have set up this space for you. When people come, we have volunteers opening the doors, helping push people in if they're in wheelchairs. Everyone wears a name tag so we can address one another by their name. We have earphones if people have auditory issues. There are carpets on the ground if a fall were to happen. And then there's the service itself, which again, shows the inclusive love of God. Anyone is welcome to join the choir. Who cares if you don't know the song? Who cares if you can technically sing well? All are invited to help with the prayers and the scripture readings. Again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it sounds like because we know what's happening and there's a connection there. And then we have a short reflection, and then we all share in communion together. And again, there are a slew of volunteers helping pass them out, collect the cups, and then we all get to taste a little of the kingdom of God when we circle around tables together in the back and eat together beside one another food that volunteers have made. I have to say that Though I see glimpses of the kingdom of God in my life, I think that that service, each time I came to that service, is one of the places where it seemed like heaven and earth were so close. There was not a service that went by when I didn't have, you know, full body chills or my eyes just brimming with tears because I felt like I could actually see the kingdom of God in such a tangible way through the inclusion, through the love, through the openness, through the welcoming nature of that service. And that, friends, is what the kingdom of God is all about. And these services, the Jubilee service, make it clear that God desires humanity to come together for worship, to love one another, and to see value, dignity, and worth in every human being that was created. And moments like that, experiences like that, services like that, give me hope. But not hope only in a future kingdom way far off, you know, after we die one day, but a hope for right now, for the kingdom that we can experience because Jesus came to earth as a tiny king. 
Hope, as Amy said in the children's moment, often gets kind of lumped in with positivity or optimism, kind of like emotions or feelings sort of things. But Christian hope, the hope that we have in Christ, because God came down, is so much stronger and more reliable than our feelings. Christian hope is believing that God has brought life from dirt and death before, and that God can do it again. Hope is believing that God can transcend our circumstances, our logic, our limitations, and do something beautiful and good. Hope is believing and expecting that what God has said will be true and that God will keep God's promises. Hope is knowing that through the power of Christ, because God came down, because God died for us and was risen again in the person of Jesus, that we have hope for life beyond this one with no crying, no mourning, and no pain. Hope sustains us as we wait for the coming Christ once again. Friends, I know it has been a year, but Advent is a season that should bring us together, uniting us around this newborn king, his unusual kingship, and the hope that we have in this future kingdom that miraculously is already here. So I invite you this week and throughout the Advent series to continue looking for glimmers of hope, for signs of the kingdom. And you might think, well, how will I know? I promise you'll know. If you are looking for it and you are in touch with God, when you see those moments of love and compassion and inclusion, you will know, look, there it is. That is part of the kingdom of God that is breaking through even now. And then I want you to consider how you can be a part of helping usher in that kingdom through loving and caring for one another. Because Jesus is king, we have hope eternal hope for all of our days. Praise be to God. Amen. Well, as the band makes their way back up to the platform this morning, I want to invite you again, wherever you are, to stand as we affirm what we believe as Christians. What we who believe in the incarnation, what we believe together as followers of Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.